He's a retired law enforcement officer of the Penal County Sheriff's Office. He worked for 10 years investigating child porn, sex crimes against kids. He's here to talk about that, what every parent and grandparent should be aware of. Hey, folks, when you have a chance, check out our Facebook page. Do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. When you get there, click like and follow. As click, like, and follow Law Enforcement Today Radio Show on Facebook. Contact us from Arizona. We have Randall Snyder on the phone. Randall is a retired law enforcement officer from the Pedal County Sheriff's Office. I'm always worried I say it the wrong way. He worked to patrol. He did everything, and he spent 10 years investigating child porn and sex crimes against kids, cybercrime, all that as well. He's here to talk about that. Randall, thanks so much for being guest on the show. Very much appreciated. Thank you, sir. I appreciate you having me on. And by the way, thanks for your service. The thing about investigating child porn, sex crimes against kids, cybercrime, it's something that's before my time. But I'll be honest with you, that was one of the hardest things in the world. Anything involving kids was so hard for me to deal with emotionally. So anyone who did that for a living, my hat's off to you because that's a, that's a dark world to go into. Thank you, sir. Yeah, it's, uh, unfortunately, it's one of those necessary evils that uh, not many of us want to get into, but um, because it's it's out there, you, we have to have people that are willing to go out and give it a try. And uh, I just kind of always had the mindset that every one of my took down was one less that I had to worry about going after my kids. And so uh, that's kind of what uh, what drove me to, to get into it and push through to be able to do it for as long as I did. I appreciate that very much, and I'm I'm probably older than you. Back in my day, I love saying this, we walked uphill to school both ways in the snow. <laughs> we had to worry about, hey, little kid with a candy, or I lost my kitten. But when you're home, you're safe. You didn't have to worry about that. Nowadays, it seems like children in particular are no longer safe in their own bedrooms, in their own homes. We talk about connected devices and the Internet. That's correct. And, you know, every, when I was growing up, it was the, you know, the creepy guy in the white panel van that wanted to hand out candy and stuff. And, and nowadays, um, better than 80% of child sexual abuse is occurring in the home. Uh, most often, it's going to be somebody that they know. It's going to be a, a parent, step parent, coach, teacher, something like that. But increasingly, what we're finding is these individuals have access to these children 24 7 because of social media, because of their, uh, cellular phones, their devices, the video games that have chat functionality. And so kids really aren't safe in their homes anymore. Uh, you're almost better to let them go out and, and play outside. They're less likely to get contacted by, uh, by somebody that wants to exploit or, uh, or abuse them. That brings up so many questions I have. First of all, I'm a parent. My daughters are in their 30s, so I don't worry about this anymore. I don't have grandkids yet. If I did, I'd be worried all of a sudden. But I'm concerned for my nieces, my nephews, and their parents. They talk about We talk about it periodically. And I remember growing up, we had no such thing as privacy in our room. One of the things I hear from people who investigate child porn, cyber crimes, sex crimes against children that come via the internet is do not let your children have access to computers or phones or whatever in private areas. Absolutely. Um, you know, 
giving them that ability to take pictures or communicate with people when you can't watch them and see what they're doing is the easiest way for them to become exploited. And not only do you have to worry about at that point, the intentional exploitation, um, but what we've also seen is that there's unintentional exploitation that's going on as well. A lot of the applications that are out there nowadays, when you're installing that application, you're giving that permissions to be able to access your phone. And even something as simple as a flashlight app, you give that permission uh, to that application to be able to uh, turn on and off your camera functionality so that it can access the flash to be able to use as a flashlight. Well, by doing that, the individual who wrote that program, who wrote that application, can now uh, remote in and be able to turn the camera functions on your cell phone on and off whenever they please without any uh, ability to know that it's happening or, or stop it. And so if you have a child that's taking their cell phone into a bedroom, into a bathroom, something like that, you never know when that bad character is going to uh, end up turning that that uh, camera function on, and now they can see everything that your child's doing in that private location. So uh, above and beyond having those conversations with kids about not taking inappropriate pictures, not sending things that uh, could be used against them somehow or that they wouldn't feel comfortable you know, having out there in the general public for everybody to see, not even taking those devices into those private areas is the best way to maintain that safety and help parents be able to monitor what their kids are doing to prevent that uh, that exploitation and abuse. Randall, thanks for making me super paranoid. I mean, I, I don't want to be the guy who wraps aluminum foil on his windows and all that stuff, and I unplug my Alexa because it's listening to me. You know, but I, I try to to live like. You know, one of the things about being a cop is I didn't want people to, to realize the dangers that existed right down the street. Uh, and I wanted to do my best to protect people, to live in that utopian society. And, of course, I'm not God. I'm not Superman. I couldn't do that. Uh, just like you're, you're not. Uh, we couldn't prevent all crimes. However, the thought that people could be watching you, they could be taking your data Look, if they turn the camera on, they're going to see a fat old guy. They're probably going to like, let's shut this thing off pretty quick. But when you talk about you know, young kids, 10, 11, 12, 8, 9, that really alarms me. And, and certainly that's, you know, kind of an extreme end of the situation. More often what you have is the individual who befriends that child and makes that child feel comfortable with them enough to then take those pictures. And again, if, if this, if the child knows that that phone is not going to be allowed into those private places, it's a lot easier for them to disengage when the offender asks for those kinds of pictures and just say, I'm not allowed to do that. I can't do that and shut it down before it even happens. Because what we're seeing now is a growing trend of sextortion where Kids are being groomed by these individuals, oftentimes thinking that it's a, a, a person of their own age, um, and they take that one quasi-innocent picture or even not-so-innocent picture, and the next thing you know, that offender owns them and will use that to blackmail and extort them for increasingly more um sexual images, more uh, invasive images, and children oftentimes don't know how to disengage from that. They're afraid of getting caught. They're afraid of getting in trouble. And so by having that momentary lapse of judgment uh, that was exacerbated by them having 
access to that device in a private location or a private setting um, now becomes a much bigger issue that, uh, you know, it can have really longstanding results. Um, I had one victim that uh, her exploiter indicated that he was going to make her name Googleable and did. And when she went off to college several years, several years after the uh, exploitation and abuse had been stopped, we had captured the perpetrator. Um, she went off to college and, and a, uh, a classmate um, saw her and was interested and Googled her name and unfortunately came across all of the exploitation images that were online in her name. And how old was um, she when this occurred before the, the search? The uh, exploitation and abuse occurred between the ages of 15 and 17. Well, we'll take a uh, short break. We are talking with Randall Snyder, retired law enforcement officer. We're talking about child porn, investigating sex crimes against kids, cybercrime, and his book. It is called Cyber Creeps. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Has this ever happened to you? You sign up for a free email newsletter, and within hours, you're receiving tons of spam. That won't happen when you subscribe for the free Law Enforcement Today radio show email newsletter. We won't spam you. No more than two emails a week. I promise. All subscribers are automatically entered in all future contests. Sign up at letradioshow.com. Scroll down to the sign-up area. That's letradioshow.com. Missed an episode of Law Enforcement Today? You don't have to anymore because now you can listen to it on Podopolo, the free new app that makes listening anytime, anywhere so easy. Catch up on shows you've missed and chat with John J. Wiley right there too. Download for free on the Apple or Google Play stores. That's Podopolo. And John J. Wiley wants to hear from you inside Podopolo. This is the Law Enforcement Today Show. We're turning our conversation with Randall Snyder. He is a retired law enforcement officer, worked at, with the Penal County Sheriff's Office in Arizona, and he spent about 10 years investigating child porn, sex crimes against kids, cybercrime. Look for his book, Cyber Creeps. Randall, before we went to break, you're talking about this young girl who, uh, her, I hate this term, her, the person who groomed her for her sexual exploitation and for sex crimes made her Googleable, and when she went to college several years later, someone's interested, did a Google search of her and came up with the information. How do we get through to people's minds, especially children, that what you put online or what you give someone is forever? Well, and, and that's really the, the way that it needs to be articulated to them, because uh, when I was teaching it at various schools on, on this kind of subject, I said, you know, don't ever take a picture that you wouldn't be proud to show your parent, your grandparent, your principal. Um, you know, that if you don't want it broadcast on the scoreboard at the middle of the homecoming game, don't take it, because the reality is those images uh, once they're out in the in the general public, there is no way to get them back. There's no way to delete them from the Internet. And so the best thing to do is if you're not going to show that picture to your parent when you take it, just don't take it. Great advice. Earlier, we talked about when I was a youngster, it was the boogeyman. It was the, the person on the van. Hey, you want to help me find my kitten, my puppy, whatever it was. I got candy kid, all that stuff you had to worry about. And we were taught how to deal with that. Nowadays, it's different. Before we get into what it's like for you investigating child porn, cybercrime, sex crimes against kids, 
There's certain things that parents and grandparents, aunts and uncles need to be aware of. Number one, I'm glad you said it earlier, the big threat is people we know, people that have access to our children, relatives, people that are are, uh, in the community, the church, whatever it might be, educators, babysitters, those are the ones that really need to worry about. How big of a problem is cybercrime with the child pornography issue? So prior to COVID, uh, the National Center was reporting that they received somewhere in the neighborhood, uh, on average, of 200 to 300,000 reports per week. And that was just coming from electronic service providers and those people who were entering what's called a cyber tip through the National Center. That's not the cases that are coming in through our patrol. That's not the cases that are being reported directly to law enforcement. That's just the ones that are coming through the National Center. Uh, as COVID came in, as the lockdowns came down, we saw those numbers increase uh, at, a, at a horrible rate. And at the height of the lockdowns in April of 2020, um, we were seeing upwards of a million to a million and a half cases per week that were being reported through the center. And each one of those cases then has to be disseminated out to a law enforcement agency for investigation. Um, most recent numbers that I've seen, uh, we're looking at somewhere between 500,000 and 800,000 reports per week through the National Center, um, plus the ones that then come through traditional channels as opposed to uh, through the uh, the federal reporting system. So it, it's not a, a small problem, and it's not a problem that's going to go away anytime soon as more and more kids at a younger and younger age are receiving um, cell phones, they're receiving devices that can connect online, and parents are becoming less and less diligent about having those tough conversations about being safe online, who you should and shouldn't talk to. And as we see this trend of internet uh, influencers wanting millions and millions of followers, kids are emulating that. They want followers, so they're accepting friend uh, you know requests from absolutely everybody never really knowing who's on the other side of that device and who that that reported friend could actually be. Without sounding like the overprotective helicopter parent, what would be the number one tip you would give to parents or grandparents to protect their children? The first thing I would say is if you're going to give a device to a child, make sure that you've applied all of the parental settings that you can, because that way, even if you're not right there hovering over them, watching everything that they do, you have the ability to know that technology is going to help block some of that. Now, we still find that the offenders are going to go where the kids go, and they're going to find ways to get around some of those parental blocks. So the next thing I would say is just make it a, a, a regular routine. Every night, the device, whatever it is, before bedtime, goes into the parent's room. The parents have an opportunity to log into it, look through it, see if there's anything, and Keep it in their room or in a a, a public location so that they don't have to worry about that stuff going on. And then finally, just, again, having those conversations, just like our kids talk to us about stranger danger and, you know, don't accept things from from strangers. Understand that every person online is a stranger unless you know them in person and you've received their information in person. That whoever's on the other end of the line is just as much a stranger, even if they pretend to be a friend or keeping that stranger danger mentality uh, at, at just a, a little bit broader level online. 
And the way people are cloning, in particular, like Facebook accounts, someone you think is a friend or relative may not be at all. It's someone you don't know. Absolutely. And the other thing that we find is kids are putting out so much information online, uh, you know, bragging about what sports they play or what teams they belong to or what schools they go to, that it's very easy for these predators to uh, do a little bit of social engineering and make themselves sound very plausible as a friend from a, a nearby school or a, or a teammate from a nearby team or something like that and use that information against the kids to be able to uh, then kind of worm their way in and, and start the grooming process. A lot of this is, is like totally foreign to a guy like me. And I, I remember being a young policeman and I was really disturbed about something and an old timer said, don't try to make things sense out of things that don't make sense at all. You drive yourself crazy. When people do these sort of twisted things, they don't make sense rationally or any other way to people who don't think that way. I, I don't know of a way to wrap my head around this, and maybe that's why it just seems even more horrifying than it is, and it's already horrifying enough. Yeah, nobody in their rational mind thinks, uh, you know, oh, that five-year-old is sexy, that turns me on, or, or you know, that that teenager sure, you know, sure would look good naked. I mean, that's not rational thoughts, and so it is very hard for people to kind of wrap their mind around what kind of an individual would be into that. Part of the problem that we're finding is that a lot of these individuals, um, they're, they're not pedophiles by the, the clinical sense. They're not going to be uh, identified by a clinician as being a pedophile. More so what they are is they're hypersexualized, they're oversexed, and because the average age of a child coming across hardcore pornography online is 11, by the time they're getting into 15, 16, 18, 20 years of age, they have been so inundated with so much hardcore, even fetishistic porn that we're finding that as they're moving into their 20s and 30s, they burn themselves out. It's just like a drug dealer that has to take more and more drugs to get that initial high they're having to find weirder and weirder and more uh, uh, harmful content pornographically to be able to get get that same experience. And we are and talking with Randall Snyder, uh, retired law enforcement officer, did many years investigating cybercrime, child porn, sex crimes against kids. He's author of the book, Cyber Creeps. This is Law Enforcement Today's show. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. Welcome to the Harmony with Food radio show. I am your host, Meg Marie O'Rourke. In addition to being a radio broadcaster, I am a nutritionist for longer than I'd like to admit on the radio. Join my guests and I as we discuss how to live in harmony with food from gut health issues, food sensitivities, food intolerances, and the comorbidities of obesity. Being your own healthcare advocate is achievable, and so is living in harmony with food. For the latest nutrition information blogs, check out my website, harmonywithfood.com. One of the most frequent questions we see is, where can I find great podcasts? Do you have any suggestions? Yes, we do. So we decided to start our own podcast network on Law Enforcement Today. That's right. You can find top podcasts about law enforcement on our website and our free app. Go to letradioshow.com, click the Be Heard tab, and there you'll find the LET Podcast Network. We'll be adding more podcasts from first responders and more. Again, to find the Law Enforcement Today podcast network, go to letradioshow.com, 
and click on the Be Heard in our menu. Or download our free app today at letradioshow.com. This is the Law Enforcement Today Show. Return our conversation with Randall Snyder. He is a retired law enforcement officer for Pinal County, Arizona. He spent many years, I believe 10 years, investigating child porn, sex crimes against kids, cybercrime. He's authored the book Cyber Creeps. We'll talk about that in a few moments. One of the things I don't understand, Randall, is I understand investigating violent crimes. I understand the process, protect the crime scene, all that stuff. Uh, we got a, a victim, render aid, try to make sure they're okay. But it was about investigating from the in out, especially when it came to like homicides and things of nature. When it comes to child porn, I have no idea. Can you walk us through that process, a typical investigation? Absolutely. So there's two different types of investigations that we typically do. Uh, one being a reactive where we get a call for service or a tip uh, indicating that there's criminal activity and we have to go check it out. And then we also have the uh, the proactive type, the uh, you know undercover Chris Hansen to catch a predator type. With the reactive ones, what we get is we get that information that comes in, just like a call for service on a violent crime, and we just have to figure out who the the bad guy is. Um, Fortunately, there is a lot of uh, footsteps and and fingerprints being left, electronically speaking, whenever you do anything online. And so we're able to use those electronic fingerprints that are left in the form of an internet protocol address, the IP address, um, that tells your computer how to connect to the internet and vice versa. And we can use that to do some tracking. Um, we have uh, legal processes that we can send to electronic service providers. So if it's going through, say, an email account, we can uh, send legal process over to the email provider and find out who uh, that email belongs to. And through a combination of a number of different uh, investigative techniques, we can narrow down uh, at least to a location who's committing that crime. And then from there, it's the same as any other type of crime. We're going to go to the scene. We're going to uh, question everybody there. We're going to look at whatever evidence is available, even if it's uh, forensic evidence on a computer. And from that, we can determine who the perpetrator is to be able to hold them accountable. Without sounding graphic, I'm going to use a, a child porn photo as an example. You get a call for service, a deputy response, and they get the photo. The victim is their child. They don't know who the perpetrator is at that point. But the evidence of the crime is the photo. Am I correct? That's correct. And, and you got to start looking at this and scanning. But with, without the IP stuff and the digital footprint stuff, there's got to be physical things that you do as well. And the thought of, here's what I'm getting at. Looking at a photo of a child in that kind of situation. I don't know how to do that. I don't know how you train someone to do that and say, okay, separate out all the emotions like you would a homicide scene. Separate out all the emotions like you would any other violent crime. Do your job. I don't know how you begin to do that. Is I guess is what I'm getting at. Where do you start? How do you go from looking this objectively? Well, you know, I, I like to think that to some degree we don't um, because every one of those individuals, every one of those kids in that picture is a victim. And so uh, you're, you're naturally going to have that instinctive, uh, emotional tie to wanting to help that kid. And 
to a degree that helps drive us. Um, just like any crime scene, you know, you do have to kind of separate it out and there's certain tips and tricks that we use. Um, you know, they say the eyes are the window of the soul. And so whenever we're looking at a picture of a kid, we don't look at their eyes. Um, we look at all of the background. We look at all of the, uh, area around the child to look for any clues that might tell us where this the setting was, things like that. We try to find those kinds of objects so that we're not having to look at the child as much. Um, we do obviously have to look at them enough to be able to identify that, yes, this is a child. Uh, it's not computer animated or, or computer generated, um, but we try to separate out the background information uh, as much as possible. And then there's always the uh, information that's encoded in the photograph. Every time a photograph is taken, you get what's called metadata that's encoded in the back of it that can include even information as such as a, a latitude and longitude of where the photo was taken. And we can use that information to help track not only who the suspect is, but also who the victim might be so that we can help in identifying them. When I hear you talking about this, and I'm, I'm trying to imagine what a typical investigator goes through, what you did. Uh, I appreciate the efforts. I, I know it's painstaking work. Part of what we, we tend to, and I'm as guilty as this as anybody else, we tend to think of the glamour stuff, I call it. The danger with police work is the gun battles, the bank robberies, the knife fights, all that sort of stuff. I'm sitting here thinking to myself, Randall, to be honest, there's got to be an insidious danger to the investigator when they do this for years and years and years. And there, there may not be a physical danger from outside, with the exception being like Lori White from RCMP I had on my show. She was arresting a pedophile who shot her through the door. Uh, and typically those people, those offenders are not violent, but hers, she lost a leg. My question to you is, how do you protect your sanity and your mental health doing this all the time? You know, and if you ask some of my colleagues, I didn't. Um, <laughs> they would say that I was crazy for having done it, and especially for having done it as as long as I did. Um, you know, we we have some some different kinds of techniques that we use to try to mitigate the emotional and and uh, mental harm that comes from this. Um, at the end of the day, though, I can tell you, in for me, um, it, it didn't there wasn't anything I could do to stop the harm. Um, over 10 years, I probably viewed millions of images of children being sexually abused and exploited. Some of those kids were as, as young as newborns, and there's just no way to block that out. Um, we do have some uh, different therapeutic options and things like that, but at the end of the day, um, it, it takes its toll. And especially when I came across images that reminded me of my, reminded me of my daughters, there's, uh, it takes a lot to get rid of that. Uh, and I do talk about that a little bit in my book as to how that impacted me because I didn't always follow the right steps. I didn't always do the right things that I was supposed to do. Unfortunately, I went down some paths of uh, you know, some medications from the great state of Tennessee that were taken in, in, in excess at times because there would be days where I would come home and all of those images that I had seen all day long were flashing behind my eyes. Beat. And, and I just couldn't even blink, much less close my eyes to go to sleep because they kept replaying. And so 
I would drink to get rid of those. Oh, God, you're um, beating the choir there, man. I'm telling you, I drink until I got knocked out because that's the only way I can get to sleep, yeah. uh, some sleep. It was so bad towards the end. That's the only thing that worked. And then there came a point where that didn't work anymore. Right. And, and that's the point where my wife um, put her foot down and just said, look, you need to quit this whole macho cop. I can handle it and go get this fixed. And fortunately, there's some therapies out there uh, like EMDR that help your brain unpack that and reprocess it in a way that you can kind of uh, refile it in a, in a healthier fashion and in a better fashion. And so I, I've been blessed to be able to have a couple of different opportunities to try some of those types of therapies to help clear some of that out and, and help me uh, uh, be able to close my eyes again without reliving so many horrible pictures and, and videos. How would you describe your life now? Uh, improving every day. Improving every day. Look, that's all anyone can ask for. It may not be tulips and roses and sunshiny every day, but it's not as bad as a bad old days. We are talking with Randall Snyder. Randall is a retired law enforcement officer with the Penal County Sheriff's Office in Arizona. Uh, he worked every aspect of, of law enforcement you can think of, but he spent many years investigating child porn, sex crimes against kids, cybercrime. He was damaged by that. We'll talk more about that in a moment. He authored a book called Cyber Creeps. We're going to talk about so much more. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. The place to be online is our Facebook page. Do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. You'll get access to unique news articles, editorials, and so much more. That's Law Enforcement Today Radio Show on Facebook. And if you're on the Clubhouse drop-in audio chat app, be sure to look for me and follow me. My name's John, the letter J, Wiley, W-I-L-E-Y. You can also search for at L-E-T Radio Show. That's John J. Wiley, W-I-L-E-Y, at L-E-T Radio Show on the Clubhouse drop-in audio chat app. Returned to our conversation on the Law Enforcement Today show with Randall Snyder, retired law enforcement officer, and he is retired from the Penal County Sheriff's Office in Arizona. He spent many years investigating child porn, sex crimes against kids, cybercrime, all that. He wrote the book Cyber Creeps. That's cyber, C-Y-B-E-R, creeps. Randall, when, for winter break, we're talking about there came a point in your life where your wife said, enough's enough. You've got to do something because she could see the damage occurring to you. And were you really aware of it or were you just trying to like cope? You know, I, I was um, I, I was willingly oblivious to it. Uh, I knew that there were issues, but I kind of just pushed them off as, well, I'm just stressed. I'm just tired. I'm just you know, overworked, whatever the case. Um, and it wasn't until she literally called me one day and said, go fix this or I'm leaving, um, that I, I recognized how horrible it had gotten. And so I went and talked to some doctors. I got uh, diagnosed uh, initially with depression and then with PTSD and uh, really started working on myself to try and turn things around because I knew that for a number of years, I wasn't the father that I wanted to be. I wasn't the husband that I wanted to be. I certainly wasn't the person that my wife and kids deserved. And so, uh, 
you know, that was a good wake up call for me to turn it around and, and really start working on myself. Um, I, I've been blessed that my wife, you know, saw something in me that I didn't and has stuck around and we've been together for 26 years now. And, uh, I, I get to say very proudly that I ended my career with the same wife that I started with. So That's awesome. not, not a lot of officers. I can can't, say, I that, can't then, say that either. And unfortunately I tell people my marriage ended in large part due to my inability to handle the, the, the trauma better. Uh, now that wasn't all of it, but that was my side of it. And, and that's the only part I can do something about my relationship with wife today is phenomenal. Uh, I've got a great life. Uh, but you didn't get from point A to point B. First of all, you didn't get to, to point A where it's like all of a sudden your wife's saying you got to do something, you got to fix something without a lot of stuff happening. We talked about that. I'm sure it's a right. long journey for you to get from the horrible points where your your marriage is almost over, it's on the rocks, to where you start getting better. Can you explain that process um, you know, initially it was, uh, through a little bit of medication to help, uh, with some of the depression. Uh, I started seeking out, um, therapies such as EMDR to try and help unpack some of that. Uh, I started talking to a therapist on a regular basis and mostly I kind of had to just flush my pride and say, you know what? It's okay to not be okay. I need to get some help. And so I started taking those steps and talking to people and finding the people that uh, really focused on trauma in law enforcement and how to get past that. Um, my wife and I did a lot. Uh, we got back into the church uh, much more heavily and, and kind of renewed my faith um, to be able to unburden myself in, in those ways. Uh, and, and really it's just been a day by day process that, you know, we still work with and we still struggle with. I still have some, some anger and some anxiety and things like that from, from the number of years that I did it. And, uh, you know, we just take each day as it comes. And, and when we have the bad days, we have to, you know, take a time out and talk about it and try and figure out what happened and, uh, see, see how we can move on from there. And, uh, like I said, you know, better every day to work in progress, but, uh, it's certainly at least I'm not having the flashbacks and the nightmares that I was having at the, at the peak of it. Thank goodness. The nightmares for me are very, very rare. They were a nightly occurrence for a very long time, but now when they pop up, I don't act amazed or alarmed. I, I use this analogy. When you have a cold, you expect a cough. When I have symptoms of this, which are normal for this kind of injuries, what I consider it, I don't freak out about it and say, okay, now that means there's things I have to do. It doesn't mean I'm blameless. I'm responsible for what I do, but I've got to do certain things. And I'm sure you have certain things you have to do too. Right. Absolutely. And, and that's one of the things is understanding that PTS um, is, it's an injury. It's a brain injury where you know, that trauma has, has physically altered your brain and your brain chemistry. And we need to start being better as officers in looking at that and treating it as an injury, like you would a broken leg or a broken arm or anything else, instead of as some sort of a, a stigma that, you know, oh, they're nuts or they're uh, incapable of doing their job. And as more officers realize that and kind of start reaching out for that help, I think we can start uh, having a better impact on those injuries and reduce the number of officer suicides that are unfortunately resulting from the amount of trauma that yeah. law enforcement is under. 
One of the things, I, I read a study, and they say, that they estimate active law enforcement officers that 35% are struggling with some degree of post-traumatic stress disorder. Uh, I believe the numbers are higher than that. Uh, when it comes to our retirees, I think they're off the chain. When you started to, when you got the ultimatum from your wife, were you still on the job or were you retired? I was still on the job. Matter of fact, uh, I continued for about four years after that um, with the job, still doing the same kinds of things, but uh, at least trying to work on what I could to minimize the harm. Um, finally, as uh, as 2020 rolled around and I was getting closer to when I was eligible to retire, um, unfortunately, my daughter called me one day and said, Daddy, my friend needs your help. One of her friends uh, was victimized and that's when I knew that I, I just couldn't do it anymore, that I had to take that step away because it was just going to impact me more and more the older my girls got. And so I was uh, fortunate that my uh, eligibility for retirement was coming up and I was able to uh, start transitioning out and, and retire uh, at the end, at the beginning of 2021. Um, and, and from there, I was able to really focus on uh taking those steps that I needed to clear that stuff out of my mind without reloading it every day when I came into the office and, and really focus on, on the treatments that I needed to be able to get past some of that PTS and, and move forward to have a better, healthier life with my family. I'm so glad you did. Tell us a little bit about your book, Cyber Creeps. Is it a journal about your personal journey? Is it a how to protect is all the above? You know, I tried to make it a little bit of, of both. Um, for the most part, it is my journey. I talk about my time, uh, you know, leading up to my investigations. And then I talk about some of the more uh, memorable and notable investigations that I did, some of the creeps that I dealt with. Um, and I, I intermix a little bit of the statistics and things in there so that people reading it understand that, this is a prevalent crime and it's only getting worse. And the only way that we can do anything about it is for parents, grandparents, anybody that has care of a kid to take those additional steps that are needed to help protect the kids from these individuals and to keep them, you know, off the streets um, or at least off the devices that our kids are, are having access to. And so I, I try to use the cases that I had in the, the, uh, creeps that I dealt with as examples of this is why you need to be diligent. This is why you need to protect your kids and understand that, you know, a, a device is exactly that. It's a tool and your kids should not have privacy on that device. And it's okay um, to, as yeah, a parent to, to be the bad guy. My personal feeling is this. You can be friends later on in life, but my job as a parent when they're young is to protect them from harm. And sometimes they're not going right. to like the way I do that. Absolutely. And it's much better for us to be the bad guy by checking their devices and invading what they feel to be their private space than for a bad guy to do it and to teach them all the wrong lessons that we don't want them to learn. And how do people get more information about your book and get in contact with you? My book is on Amazon, uh, so anybody uh, can hop on Amazon and look for Cyber Creeps. It comes in both the uh, Kindle edition and a paperback edition. Uh, I also have a website that is my name, Snyder, uh, 1193.weebly.com. I know it's kind of a long URL. We're, we're working on branding better. Uh, and 
on the, my website, I have access to uh, a number of different resources for parents to be able to go to uh, sites like the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children or the Child Rescue Coalition, where they can get additional tips on how to keep kids safe. There's um, information on there and video games for kids to play where they'll learn child uh, internet safety in kind of a fun way so they don't realize that they're learning. And then there's also information on there about mental wellness for uh, the first responders that are dealing with this, the clinicians, the uh, forensic interviewers, things like that, so that the people who are being impacted by this on a professional level have access to resources to be able to get help. Um, because I know one of the things that I went through when when I was going through my PTS was the feeling of isolation and loneliness and wondering if I was alone. And, and I want everybody else to not alone for sure. They're Randall, not. thanks so much for being guest on the show. Very much appreciated. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. I'd like to thank our guests so much for coming on the Law Enforcement Today radio show. The Law Enforcement Today radio show is a nationally syndicated radio show broadcast on numerous stations once a week and growing. If you enjoyed the podcast version of the show, please do me a big favor. Tell a friend. I'll be back in just a couple days with a brand new episode of the Law Enforcement Today radio show and podcast. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya. See ya.